Hey, we're in a message series called God, Family, and Hustle. God, Family, and Hustle. And I was thinking this morning that uh, there's a lot I need to be successful in my family. There's a whole lot. I, don't, I didn't come prepackaged with everything I need to succeed in my family. I was reminded of the verse in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 that says, It takes wisdom to build a house, and it takes understanding to establish a firm foundation. And I thought, I don't have all the wisdom I need. I don't have all the understanding I need to be a great husband, a good dad, just even be a guy. I don't, I didn't come prepackaged with all that. And then I was reminded of what the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 5, that says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all people most liberally without judgment. <laughs> so that means I'm able to go to God and say, God, I don't have everything I need. And I don't have to be embarrassed to admit that to you. I can come to you knowing that if I ask you for wisdom, for understanding, to build my house, to establish the foundations, that you're not going to judge me for not having all that I need. And you're the source of the wisdom anyway. So before we jump all the way into the message, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask if you're like me, if you didn't come prepackaged with everything you need to succeed, and even if some of the stuff you had that maybe you could have succeeded with, you didn't really do well as you executed against. So even some that you had, you need some growth there too. Well, then I'd invite you to join me in this prayer. Let's open up our hearts for all that God would have with us. Would you pray right now, Father? We acknowledge that you are the source of wisdom. You're the one who establishes all good things. And your plan for our lives, for our home, for our family, well, that's a wonderful thing. But I confess that I don't always live up to it. In fact, I didn't come into this world with everything I need to succeed. So I ask you, Father, to be true to your word. And I ask you for wisdom. I ask you for understanding. I want you to build the house. I want you to establish the foundation. So I come to this moment now in our worship service. And I admit to you, Lord, I need you. I need you to illuminate my mind. I need you to speak to me through your word. I don't ask it for myself alone. I ask it for my brothers and sisters as well in this room. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Our God is good. So it feels like autumn out, and I was reminded that at the change of season, I just had this thought, maybe this will help you, that some of you have been in a season in your family, and you're enjoying the season, like you love it, and maybe it's like the seasons of the year. Now it's about autumn, it feels like, and maybe you really love summer, and the season's changing, and you're not all that happy about it. For me, on the other hand, I love autumn. So I love that the season is kind of changing to autumn. I love those crisp mornings. I love it when the leaves begin to turn. And for me, summer is just hot. I used to live in Florida, and if I wanted heat all the time, I'd have stayed there. So we moved up here, and I, get, I love the change of season. But, but here's the thing. If you've been in a season in your family that you've been loving it, that's awesome for you. We're so glad you're here. But i got to be honest with you. The seasons of life are not permanent. And for you, maybe like you think about that, I'm not trying to predict doom in your life. I'm just telling you there's going to come a time pretty soon it's going to be a little different than it is now. And the, on the other hand, for some of us, that's really good news because you've been in a season in your family and it hasn't been awesome. It's not been an enjoyable place. That's okay. The truth is, is seasons change. They do. And we're doing this message series called God, Family, and Hustle. This is week two because we, we are trying as a church family 
brothers and sisters in the Lord, to make sure that all that goes on in our earthly family is as close as possible to alignment with what God wants. We believe that what God wants for our family, for what he wanted for your family of origin, even though it may not have been all that it could have been, even though it was probably imperfect, what God wanted for your family of origin, what he wants for your family now, is he wants you to experience the love and the joy, the acceptance and the peace, uh, develop a sense of purpose and belonging in that family. That's his heart. But there's an enemy of your soul who doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that. And this world's system and the fight of our enemy would conspire against you to make what God's agenda is for your life and your family, to make it difficult and hard, and it feels like it's unapproachable. But that's not true. The truth is, is our God is greater than every single weapon formed against your family. He is. And when you come to a place like this and you sit down and we open our minds as we open up the word of God, we open up our hearts to what the spirit might speak to us. What we're actually doing, we're actually waging war. We're waging war against the enemy's plan for your life. And we're stepping in alignment with what God wants for us. It really is, friends. It really is. It really is how we fight the battle. That's not all that we have to do to fight the battle, but it is how we fight the, babble, the battle. And so I come to this stage today confessing that I don't have all the wisdom. I don't have all the understanding. And, and the other thing I have to confess to you, and it may be intuitively obvious to you, but it took me a while to catch on to this as a becoming adult person. I was in my mid-20s before I realized it. I have to confess to you that I don't come from a perfect family. Now, the challenge with that is, is that unless you think about it, unless you intentionally change, here's what will happen. You will repeat in your family what your family you grew up in does. You'll tell yourself you won't, but you will. And the way you saw your mom and dad engage each other will influence and create the starting point for how you'll engage each other. How you saw your dad engage uh, tension and frustration and how he responded to that, wh wh how he expressed his frustration and anger, that will set the beginning point for you. How you saw your mom respect your dad and speak lovingly to him or not, that will set the beginning point for you. How you watched your father um, serve and stick around and engage and bring grace to the family, that'll set how you begin to do that. The truth is, in my family of origin, we weren't perfect. We can't. Now listen, the good news is out of my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family, somehow God saw fit to bring the two best of both of those families together. Because when I think about my family of origin and how imperfect we were, I start to feel a little sad. And then all I have to do is look at my relatives and think, golly, we're so much better than them. I'm not even kidding. It sounds kind of condemning, but you understand something about me. I'm not perfect. And so I watch reality television because it just makes me feel good about me. I'm like watching those people make all kinds of stupid stuff on camera. And here's what I say to myself. I may not be any better, but I know better than to have a camera while I'm acting that way. Right, so I just feel better about myself. So God's selfish to bring two imperfect people, my mom and my dad together, and start this family. Even before they knew the Lord, God's hand is at work, I believe, in, in, in the entire world and everybody's life. And God brings these two people together. And they're not walking according to his plan. And they're not living the life they're supposed to live before God. I mean, they're, they're just doing their own thing. 
Already in their early marriage, they were beginning to repeat patterns that were uh, evidenced in their family of origin. And my mom's side of the family, it's like every other person literally has a, an addiction to alcohol. And they're not really fighting that addiction. They're like just giving themselves to it. And that has challenges, doesn't it, over time? I mean, you don't have to go very long with that kind of an addiction. Even if you can kind of manage it to where it really starts to show up. Even if you can hide it from work, which they were really good at, it really begins to show up at home. That was happening. My dad's dad was murdered when my dad was in his early teen years. And so he grew up without a father, without uh, you know, the protection that comes without, with that, without some of the wisdom that can come with that. And, and he was an angry young man as he just thought about life and the cards he was dealt. And some of that began to show up in our family because that's the place he came from. But God did something powerful. He changed them. And they didn't go from imperfect to perfect overnight. In fact, they're still not perfect. Well, my mom passed, so technically she is. She's been made right before Jesus. Everything's right about her. But when I was growing up with her, she wasn't perfect. But she wasn't the person she was when she first got married. There was a journey they were on. This sermon series is about us going on a journey, no matter where you are today, for some of you, the season of your family is later, and you're, you have some adult kids, perhaps, and maybe no kids, but you've been married for a long time. <laughs> maybe along the journey, you're over here, and the truth is, is there's been a divorce, there's been some tragedy, perhaps, but your journey's later. For others of us in the room, and God blesses our church with this, we have a lot of people on the front end of your journey. Can I tell you what every person on the far end of their journey would say to every person on the young end of their journey? Let me tell you what they would say to you. Wake up. You don't get all the time in the world. You're going to blink, and life is going to have passed you by if you're not careful. They would say to you, if they were totally honest, don't be where I am today and hear good ideas, even be stirred by good ideas, but don't put the good ideas into practice. They would say, don't do that. Every person who's like me on the farther end of their journey looks back in moments and go, I wish... The thoughts, the ideas, the hunches I had over here got my better attention. Good news for everybody. It's not too late. You're not stuck. And seasons are going to change, and the next season of your life can be better than the season you're in. It really can be. That's not me promising too much. That's not me trying to make you feel good. It just can be. But you don't have all you need to make sure that it is. You don't. I, I know that runs against popular culture. In popular culture, we basically tell people, you have everything you need, just reach down deep, and if you reach down deep enough, you'll have what you need to succeed. It's not true. What you need to succeed is available to you, but it doesn't reside in you. As a follower of Jesus, the truth of the matter is, you don't have everything, but you serve a God and you're connected to a God who does. And in fact, the success of your family, the deep success, not the shallow success, the deep success of your family depends on your vital connection to the Lord. You know this idea of journey that I'm talking about, don't you? See if you can relate to this. This is a bit of the journey Jill and I went on as we started having kids. 
We had our first child. We were still living in Florida, and we didn't have a lot of family down there. So after our first child, we gave ourselves a few months, and we thought, you know what? It's been a while since we've been out alone together, and we should probably go out alone together. And so we arranged for some child care situation, and we said to our child care giver, we're going out alone. And we asked them with our first child, um, make sure that you know how to get a hold of us. And make sure you know what our routines are. And then while we were out, we tended to call home every five minutes to make sure they were okay. You know how that works. our first kid. By the time we had our second kid, several years later, we had been on a journey. We weren't there anymore. So when we had our second kid and we got our child caregiver so we could go out and be alone again, we just basically said to that person just before we walked out the door, oh, here's the number in case you need to reach us. We left some instructions. By the time we had our third kid, we said to our caregiver, please don't call us unless there's blood. That's how that worked, right? We have four kids, and it's like, what's his name again? If you come into our house, there are no pictures of our fourth kid on the wall. That's not quite true, but there are a whole lot more pictures about the earlier kids. We've had to actually correct that over the years. When we had our first child, I remember when I found out on a Thanksgiving day that Jill was expecting, and she went to the OBGYN to confirm on our first kid. As soon as the OBGYN kind of confirmed she was pregnant, she started wearing maternity clothes. Just could not wait. By the time we had our second kid and she was expecting, she waited just as long as she could to get into her maternity clothes. You know how this is? Now, this wasn't true for my wife, but I've noticed for a lot of people with their third kid, their regular clothes are the maternity clothes. You know what I'm saying? Ouch, that's a little rough, isn't it? Yeah. One more. Any of your kids ever swallow a coin? We've had some of that happen. So here's the journey. On your first kid, if your kid swallows a coin, you take him to the hospital and you demand x-rays. On the second kid, if your kid swallows a coin, you just kind of patiently wait for it to pass. But by the third kid, you're deducting it from their allowance. So you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's journey. That's the journey we're on, right? And your family is on a journey. And the next season of your family can be better than the one you're in. But it's going to take some wisdom and some knowledge and some understanding from the Lord to do that. And you might have to confront some things in your family of origin that are showing up. Maybe you haven't even thought, but they're showing up in your marriage, in your family, in your personal private life if you're single, in a way that you're going to have to engage and think differently. The good news is, is God's there to help. He's not just there to help and come alongside me, but he's actually there to guide and direct like a great coach, like a great leader. In fact, God wants to be the leader of your family. And today, honestly, you can make some decisions to take steps in that direction. You really can. So when I'm thinking about how messed up family can be, I think about a particular passage in the book of James. Your message notes today, um, you got them when you came in on the back of the little fold-up Uh, The message notes today can kind of help you. Uh, James chapter 4 talks about a family dynamic that everybody in the room can relate to. You can relate to it. I can relate to it. We've been here. You've been here. James is technically writing to a spiritual family. He's writing to a church. But there's so much about church dynamic and family dynamic that overlaps because in God's eyes, the church is the family of God. In fact, your spiritual brothers and sisters are not even the ones that you grew up with. They're all the brothers and sisters that you have in Christ in the past, now, and in the future should the Lord hold up. This is your spiritual family. So a lot of the stuff in the Bible that talks about our spiritual family directly relates to our earthly family because the same God gave birth to both. In fact, it is in the church 
and in the family that God wants to do his most profound work. And that's why the enemy fights it so hard. God wants to do great work in the church, and God wants to do great work in the family. And the enemy knows if you engage either one of those, eyes open, mind open, heart open, if you engage either one of them like that, good things are going to come, and the enemy doesn't want that for you. So he just messes with the church family, and he messes with your family, and if we're not careful, we live messed up, and the seasons of our life just continue unchanged. But that's not God's plan for you. It's not what he wants. He wants eyes open, mind open, heart open. And he wants to use passages like this one to speak. So look at what James says about a dynamic we can all relate to. James chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1. In your notes, you have a few of the verses. I'm actually going to go a little further. You can just make a note. Check these out at home and make sure I'm telling the truth. Here's what the Bible says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Can we pause for an honesty check here? Anybody's family of origin have any fights and quarrels at all? Any tension? As an adult sitting in the room, any of those fights and quarrels from your childhood still speaking a little painfully into your present? It's okay. There isn't a single perfect thing. If you think your family's jacked up, they are. They really are. Jesus' family tree in the Bible have stories in his family tree, in his heritage on the earthly side, has incredible stories of dysfunction in their family. So you, you're standing with good company. So what causes these kinds of fights and quarrels among you? Here's what the Bible says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within? It's not just the environment out there. It's not just them. There's actually some stuff that happens in here too. I bet you in your family of origin, there might have been some environmental things that weren't awesome. Maybe you weren't in the, in the best school system. Maybe you weren't in the best economic situation. Maybe you didn't live in the best neighborhood. Maybe your zip codes weren't the best zip code. I don't, I don't know. There's probably some environmental stuff happening. And there might be even some stuff a little closer, like in your dynamic, like the way your parents were parenting, and maybe they weren't thinking strategically about what they wanted for you. You know, you maybe and to some degree you kind of felt like an afterthought, or maybe their life was so chaotic they could just only manage the chaos in front of them, and they never got purposeful about managing what they were actually called to manage, which was you. And to help you, that's possible. All those things can be just dealt with. But this passage is going to deal a little bit deeper. This passage is going to deal with not environmental, not just parents, but what's going on in your own heart that leads to fights and quarrels. And by the way, this third level of thinking through conflict is one of the most challenging ones. In conflict, everybody can see the challenge of the environment. Well, if we just had a little bit more of this. If we had a little less of this, if we were just over there in that place, if we were over there in this place, if the environment was different, my life would be indifferent. I want to change my environment. This is what makes a man who's been married for 25, 30 years doing marginally okay to okay in his marriage, start looking out the window of his life and start going, I'd like to have a marriage. I'd like to have a relationship. I'd like to have feelings like those over there. And if I can change my environment, then my life will be better. They call those, by the way, silver divorces. Have you heard about these? 25, 30 years in? What happened? He starts looking through the window of his life, and he starts thinking, if I can change my environment, I can change my life in a way that will be better suited. That's level one engagement of tension and conflict. Level two is just like the relationships. There's something in the relational dynamic 
between us. If I can just get better understanding, if I can help them hear me more, if I can listen a little bit better, if I can add a few skills, then I'll manage and do better. My life will be more where I want it. That's valid. Both of these are, in fact, valid in their right place. The graduate level understanding of conflict is when you don't look at your environment, you're not just trying to understand the relational dynamic, but you start asking deep questions like, what's going on in me? What's going on in me that contributes in an unhealthy way to the fights I'm having with my wife? What's going on in me that contributes in an unhealthy way to the challenges we're having with our kids? James says that you have desires that battle within you. Verse 2, you desire, but you do not have, so he says people kill. Now remember, he's writing to the church. He's talking about the world, the way it works. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask God, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. There's something in me. Even when I go to God, a lot of times I'm not going to God in purity. I'm just going to God you know, for what I want, and if I get what I want, it's not even really for the good of everybody. It's really just for my short-sighted good. Yeah, I can tell you many times I've prayed for my marriage. Not all of them were God-honoring prayers. Not all of them were wife-honoring prayers. Some of them are incredibly embarrassing to bend kinds of prayers. Like, God, I can't fix you. You're going to have to. Now, truth is, is I can't fix my wife. Uh, but that's not the spirit in which I'm coming from. It's like, God, just do something with her. Fix her. Now, if you know my wife, you know how silly that is. Because between the two of us, she needs much less fixing than I do. She's sitting right over there in case you're wondering why I'm speaking so well of her. <laughs> of course. And she can't fix me. There are times I've prayed for God. God, just take them now while they're young before they can make any more stupid. And then I think, well, God, that's just morbid. I hate that. I've prayed really ridiculous prayers. I found myself praying what I call Old Testament prayers sometimes. God, just make the rocks fall on my enemies. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible prayers like that. You know what? Thank God he doesn't answer all of our prayers. You know why God doesn't answer some of your prayers? Because it's not what he wants for you. He's not giving you what you want because what you want is not really good for you. It's just the truth. Sometimes I've prayed much more honorable prayers, and God still hasn't answered my prayers. Like, I'm a dad who's prayed prayers for his kids, and God still hasn't answered them all the way I think he should. And some of them are incredibly awesome and wonderful prayers. So I don't know all the ways God doesn't answer prayers and why all the whys he doesn't, but I know that there is something in me that if I'm not careful, my selfishness will run away with me. Now, look how James describes this in verse 4 and following. I'm not sure all the ones you have. These are not, but they'll be on the screen. Here we go, right? Here's what he says. He says, you're an adulterous people. Now, he's using family lingo. Adultery brings pain. Adultery disintegrates family. Adultery makes dads not be able to check their kids in at night uh, in their own beds. And so adultery is bad. So in a church situation, he's using the metaphor of this pain that adultery can bring. And he says, look, here's what happens when you don't deal with the selfishness in your own heart. You're adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God or strife with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? If you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you a deposit of his spirit, and he jealously longs to reconnect with that spirit of himself that's in you. So he constantly woos. He constantly pulls you in. He invites you to worship. He invites you to open his heart. Because what happens is as he reconnects with himself, that part that he put in you, he jealously longs for that. Right? The cool thing is, is 
You adulterous people, he says, he's jealously longing for you. But look at the very next line on the screen. But he gives us more grace. So if you come from a family where fights and quarrels, maybe you're in the middle of a season where there's a lot of that distension in your life. Here's the good news. He gives us more grace. And I'm going to show you mechanically today how he does some of that. I know I need that in my life. I need that in my family. By the way, that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. So look what he says, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Submit. Well, that's a word nobody wants to acknowledge, right? It's an un healthy word in today's culture. It's guaranteed to rile emotions. But the Bible says, if you want to really deal with some of the dynamics in the family, you're probably going to have to submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, because you're not perfect. You're a sinner. Purify your hearts, because you aren't fully focused in God. You're actually a double-minded person. And then he says, do the work, like do some grieving, mourning and wailing, change your laughter to mourning and your joy becomes gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. He says, there might, you might have to go through a season that isn't fun. It might feel like mourning to deal with that internal stuff in you, but there's some good stuff that's going to come out of that season if you go through it. And if you'll let yourself engage the hard work, that third level, graduate level work, not just looking at everybody else, but looking at yourself. And then he says, brothers and sisters... Do not slander one another. And by the way, if you do it, this little indicator, if you do the hard work, what might happen is, is that the conversation in your home might change its tone. I'm not just putting down. I'm not always defensive. But now my conversation can begin to build up. I'm not talking about people in a negative way. I'm talking with them and to them. It can change everything. It can change everything in a church. Today we're talking about family. So let me ask you three questions there in your message notes. See, see where you are on this. What are you asking God for in your family? That's the first blank. What are you asking God for in your family? Sometimes, I don't do a lot of this anymore. My life uh, and job have gotten complicated. I don't have time, honestly, to do my primary job, which is to preach and lead, if I do a lot of counseling. But back when I used to do a lot of counseling, I would often say to couples that would come in, one of them or the other would say something like this, um, you know, we're just not on the same page. On this issue, we got a parenting, we're not on the same page. We got a money thing, we're not on the same page. We got an intimacy thing, we're not on the same page. And so I would regularly ask them, well, what's the page? Show me the page. What's your page? And the truth is, is, they didn't know. All they knew is they weren't connecting. Like there was no page, there was no plan, there was no purpose. I just don't like where we are, and I don't like him. Right? Well, that's just as stuck as stuck can be. It's just this feeling of angst with no real clarity of what's going on. So I'd often send them home and say, all right, here's first exercise. I won't meet with you again. Don't waste my time. If you don't come back with you have a page and you have a page. And by the way, about 50% never made a second appointment. You don't want my help. You probably don't want help. You just want them to change. I can't do that. All right? So you have a page, you have a page. We get together and now we can start talking about the page, right? So let me ask you, whether it's written or not, What are you asking God for in your families these days? In your own life? Is there a list, written or not? Is there there a list of things that you believe you want God to do? If not, you might want to get one. Because the feelings of, I just don't like this, 
they're going to produce some real ugly things in your life if you don't get beyond just the feelings and start identifying what's really at the root of them. You'll find yourself stuck on level one conflict engagement. My environment sucks. Change the environment. You'll be stuck. Or, or you might do a little bit better and start going, hey, maybe there's some skills I can learn and I can manage some of the relational dynamics about it. And that's fine. That's good. In fact, most of us can. But the real pay dirt, the real payoff comes when a child of God, a brother or sister, son or daughter of God, says, now, Lord, what does he want to do? Oh, now I'm not just praying for you to change my wife. I'm praying for you to change me. I'm not just praying for you to change my child. And trust me, I'm certain they need changed. But now I'm praying for you to change me, even as I engage them in the thing that I think they need to change. So what are you asking God for? And, and here's the thing. If you have a list, if you don't have one, get one. If you don't have one, are all of them about the other people that are causing you grief? If so, I'm just going to suggest that you might be stuck at level three, level two, but you haven't graduated to level one, work with God on the kind of life he wants for you. So what is on your prayer list? Number two. Are you in a position to receive an answer to prayer? <laughs> James said that sometimes you can pray, but God won't answer because you're asking in a wrong way from a wrong motive. And God's only going to give you good gifts. He's only going to take you down the plan for your life. He's not going to answer all your prayers. Thank God he doesn't. So it could be that you're just praying from a wrong position. So have you thought about that? Like if God hasn't fixed your marriage yet and you prayed on it for a hundred times, is it possible that maybe it's more than just, and it could be some environmental things, but is it possible it's more, is it more than just learning some skills like how to better communicate, right? Or um, more dates on a calendar for intimacy. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe there's some heart work that needs to happen. And if you come honestly and say, God, the truth is I didn't bring all the wisdom I needed to this family. I didn't bring all the skills I need in this family. And by the way, you can do that for the rest of your life. I didn't bring all the skills I need for this job. I didn't bring all the skills I need for this ministry. I didn't come prepackaged with all the things I need for this opportunity. So I gotta come to you, God, the source of all wisdom. And I wanna open my heart for you to do that. Third big question of introspection. And then you're gonna be ready to receive, all right? Where do you need to submit to God? Where do you need to submit to God. That's what he told us in the passage we read. Hey, submit to God. You want to deal with this stuff? Submit to God. Now, this word is problematic. There isn't a person in this room that likes to submit. That's why God said to every man and woman who wants to get married, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in this very same passage, just a few words down, he looks at the man and he says to every man that got married, hey, remember when I told you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Let me tell you what that's going to look like in your marriage. You're going to have to serve her. You're going to have to give yourself to her. And if you don't, it's not going to go well in your marriage. You're submitting, you're putting her first, is going to look like serving. In fact, serving to the point of Actual death, if you have to. That's what Paul says to men. And all the women said, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor, preach. Preach, pastor. And then Paul turns to women and he says, remember when I said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Ladies, just to be clear, so you didn't miss it. Now submit to your husband. <laughs> I just went there, by the way. Nobody wants to talk about this stuff. But that's actually what the Bible says to women. Sub now, it doesn't say submit to men. 
That's not what it says. You can decide what you're going to do with that. That's a political discussion. That's an emotional discussion. The Bible is crystal clear. Men serve. That's how you submit to one another. And wives submit to your husband, not other people's husbands. Your husband. It's a tough word. But it could be that some of the challenges and strife that we are going through, and if you want a different season, it could be that you might have to learn where to submit to God on a few things. So can I be honest with you? I came into my marriage, into my family with an imperfect background, but not just my environment, not just my parents' stuff on me. I had to deal with some heart stuff. The truth is, is I came into my marriage with fists up a bit. I came into my marriage ready to fight for what's mine. I came to my parenting ready to fight to win the discussion, the argument, the point. I came into my marriage ready to go. By the way, I'm not the only person that did that. Every single person I've ever chatted with has, to some degree, come to the relationships of their life with a... Now, how you deal with that, some people go underground with it, some people go direct with it, some people go passive-aggressively. Those are my favorite, because I don't even know what we're fighting about until I discover it, but... Everybody comes fists up. That's my natural tendency. I didn't just come fists up. I came into my marriage fists closed. Fists up, fists closed. Where I thought more about what I could receive more than what I could give. Without even thinking about it. Like, I didn't have to think. I just came naturally to my marriage thinking, now what can Jill give me? I didn't realize it for a long time. It's not like I consciously did it and went, I'm just selfish and I love it. That's not what happened. I didn't realize that so much of our conflict and so much of our discussion, even in my parenting, if I'm not careful, I look at my kids and I say, now what can I get out of this dynamic? Then I have wonderful kids, so I get a lot of great stuff. But there are moments when I don't get great stuff from them. And if I'm not careful, my natural tendency says, to some degree, it's my... But not only did I come open-handed for what they can give me, I came close-handed sometimes. I'm thinking about, well, what can I give them? That's my natural tendency, closed, fisted. Now, don't look at me like I'm strange. I got three heads. You're the same way. To a lesser degree, every, this is the human condition. This is what it means to be a sinner. You're in a room, by the way, full of sinners right now. You are. Now, some of us are saved by grace. Some of us will be saved by grace, hopefully by the end of this service, but not all of us. Some of us are on an active journey with our faith. Many of us aren't. So what this means, ladies, is if your purse is open beside of you, when we stand for worship, make sure you close your purse because the person next to you might be a sinner. That's called hyperbole. That's overstatement. You don't have to worry about that here. But the point is, is every single person comes a bit close-fisted to relationships. Not only did I come fist up and close-fisted, I came into this world, into my marriage, into my parenting as the pastor of this church a bit like this, arms folded. You know this position, don't you? Oh, we'll see. We'll see. A little bit of a cynic. You know, once you get past 25, most people are cynics. Life's banged them around a little bit. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I come to the world going, we'll see. I, I'm a little detached. Hmm, we'll watch. This is my, my natural tendency. If I'm not careful, if I don't submit it to God, is to come fists up, fists closed, arms crossed, little detached. These are the kinds of things that James was talking about when he said, let's talk about the conflict you're having in your family, in your marriage, in your friendship, at your work, in your church. Maybe there's some environmental stuff. Maybe there's some skills to learn. But the truth is, until we deal with the heart issues, 
Don't they really come from your own desires that war within you? Now, this is hard. Because if you're in a season of life where you're very aware of the challenges, it may be very difficult for you to think about the emotional energy you have to expend to quit blaming your environment, even though there might be some environmental stuff, and quit blaming the dynamic, even though there might be some, and start dealing with the heart issues. You may not feel like you have any emotional capacity to do that. that, that that's real. That happens. The good news is I'm not asking you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps today. I'm asking you today to submit to what God wants to do. It's much less something you're going to do, and it's more something you're going to open yourself up to, a set of conversations and realities and a set of prayers that maybe you haven't prayed, perhaps ever. Let's fill in some blanks. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to move from a position of power to a posture of surrender. Here's power. It's mine. It's mine. I'm the dad in this family. No. In our family, I am the dad in this family. I have a certain power that comes with that. Our kids do not lead our family. Our kids do not set our agenda. And our kids do not determine our checkbooks. They impact all those things, but I'm the dad. That's true. That's a valid approach to power. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those moments when I want to leverage the power that is legitimate for an illegitimate moment. It happens. It happens. It shows up in our family when I'm right and how I talk about how I'm right. Have you ever been right and wrong at the same time in fighting with your spouse? Like, you're right, but you couldn't be more wrong in how you're going about it. You ever been there? By the way, you have been. It's called self-awareness. It's a wonderful gift. You've been there. Have you ever been right with a friend? But it wasn't being right. It's kind of how you had to deal with it that made you wrong in the moment. That's when power, the power of being right, gets leveraged inappropriately. I come naturally like this. But what God wants me to do is move from a position of power where everybody goes, where it's natural to be, to a posture of surrender. So I confess that my natural human posture is to fight for my right to make something happen, but I choose as a follower of God, as a Christian, I choose a posture of surrender, hands up. You know this posture, it's the bank robber posture. Put your hands in the air, ultimate surrender. I choose a posture of surrender because, here's what Jesus said, guys, my life is not my own, it belongs to God. So God, you can have it. I'm gonna tell you something. You might have to discuss your environment. You might have to discuss the relational dynamics and learn some skills. All that's valid. But when you come in your marriage and you start going, God, I'm going to let go of my rights. And I'm going to surrender to your agenda, to your will, and to what's best for us. You're in a position to see a radically different season in the next season of your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships. And if you don't do that, it's very likely that the next season of your life is going to look an awful lot like the last one you were in, or it might even get worse. It sounds simple, but one of the hardest things you can do is to stop doing this and do this instead. By the way, this is why in Christian worship, historically, Christians have always raised their hands. This is not a new charismatic thing. In 
Moments of prayer, Christians have always, we actually have archaeological evidence for this. There are early paintings and early um, uh, mosaics on walls in early churches, first couple hundred years, where the people who are worshiping have their hands up. It's just an outward sign of an inward openness. I surrender, Lord, to you. So sometimes when people are singing songs, they'll do this. I surrender whatever you want, Lord. So I confess, I come arms, fists closed, arms need to go up. I also confess that I came to this world, fists closed, asking what can I get out of this world and out of my relationships versus what I could give. So I confess that my natural human tendency is a posture to take, it's to keep, it's to hold. But I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my life in my hands so that I can freely receive from God and I can freely give what he wants me to give. That's a game changer for your family. It's natural for your two-year-old to say, mine. I don't know who taught my kids that. I hate whoever taught my kids that word. Mine, mine, mine. Like, where, you were so cuddly at one point in your early years. What happened? Mine. But it doesn't go away when they get older. It can, it doesn't, I don't care how old, there is in you a mind mentality. It's not all wrong. There are rights, but in your family dynamic, you're going to have to learn how to open your hands and say, God, no, I have freely received from you and I'm going to freely give. And when you do that, you're posturing yourself for incredible work from God. And just for the cynic in the room, I'm talking about moving from what I can receive to what I can give. And I'm not just talking about money. In fact, the most powerful resources in God's economy are not financial. I'm reminded of the stories in the Bible. It's Moses. It's the disciples. It's Moses. And God's called him to go. And for all of Exodus chapter 3, he's making excuses. I'm not the right one, God. I can't speak well. Please send somebody else. Maybe over here. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're, You're the person. And Moses is like, well, I don't even have anything. And so God says to him, what do you have in your hand? He's got a staff, a shepherd's staff. Because that's what he had been doing. He had been a shepherd in Midian. And God says, take what's in your hand and throw it down. Release it. And when Moses threw the staff down, it becomes a snake. And it's the first miracle that occurs in Moses engaging Egypt to set the children free. I don't want to stretch too far. But it could be that you have something that you're holding on to that if you'll let it go, if you'll let it fall, God will use that very thing to start setting free your family, your children. I'm telling you, if you go through whatever argument you're going through like this all the time and you don't do this a little bit to God and to his purpose and whatever he's given you to use and leverage for his good, your next season is probably not going to be all that it's supposed to be. I confess my natural tendency to take, it's to hold. But I confess and I declare that as a child of God, I'm open. God, make me open. Help me to give freely even as it's been given to me freely. I came into this world with fists. I came into this world hands closed and I came into this world a little bit of a cynic, a little detached, a little self-protective. And we're going to have to make some decisions in our families, number three, in your blank there, from a posture of disconnection to a posture of engagement. And this applies to everybody, but I want to talk to men for just a second. Men, our culture has almost celebrated and praised the disconnected male figure, the lone ranger. 
the self-sufficient man. And the truth is, guys, you're not self-sufficient. You don't have everything you need. You don't. And you can keep trying harder, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to be embarrassed and disappointed if you keep relying on yourself for everything. You can't lead your family by yourself without partnership with your spouse. In fact, the greatest gift, guys, you can give your kids is to see them love their mom like Christ loved the church to serve and give yourself for her. You need her if you're going to succeed at the dad thing. And this idea that you can do it by yourself and that strength is marked by your not needing anyone, that's a lie from the devil designed to keep you arms folded and detached. We all came into the world a little self-protective and possibly cynical, watching with a skeptic's eye. We even praise that to some degree, a healthy amount of skepticism, and there's a place for that. But when it comes to God's call on your life, that crossed arms is not the position for us. So I confess that my natural human posture is to spectate, to watch, to critique. It's not my problem, I tell myself, but I choose, as a follower of Jesus, to open up my arms, to open up my life, and to say to the deep needs of the world, here am I, to say to the deep needs of my family, I'm available, and to say to God, send me. Closed fists, to surrender. Closed hands, to open-handed. Arms crossed, to a posture ready to embrace whatever God gives. These are the dynamics that will change your family. They'll change your marriage. They'll change the way you interact with your adult kids. And while you can't control them, you can put yourself in a place of submitting to God and asking him with bold honesty to not just change your environment, not just change some of the dynamics, but to change you. And I have found people who pray prayers like that get them answered almost all the time. A lot of people who pray for God to change their environment, they don't get that. Just being honest with you. Good luck with that. I don't know what the odds are. God does do that on occasion. Sometimes when people ask to change the dynamic, you know, the, the way we relate, that can work. I've seen those prayers get answered somewhat frequently. But these over here, I mean, you're batting a thousand. God, change me. I submit to you. What do you want, God? I'm open to what you want. These are bold and dangerous prayers. Here's some ways you can do it in terms of opening arms, men and ladies. When opportunity for leadership comes your way, grab it. Guys, I don't know what you want your legacy to be, but you aren't going to build it. Like you're not going to look back on your life and go, man, I was the best. I'm just going to pick on some easy ones. I was the best video game player. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No one, really. And it doesn't work. And I have to say that in our culture today. Nobody cares. And you're not going to care when you're on your deathbed. Or I gained the most money. Nobody cares, really. Not when you're on your deathbed. You won't care either. It's not going to work. What you want is engagement with your wife, engagement with your kids, engagement with the things of God. And you're going to have to pick up the leadership ball when it's offered to you. Number two. Men and women, direct your family to God's mission. Not just what you want, but what does God want our family to do? 
It'll change your calendar. It'll change how you do money. It'll change your conversation. It'll give you the power to say no to things. You might not have kids involved in every sport imaginable. You might actually say no to a few opportunities so you can say yes to things that are specific to God and his kingdom. And number three, do. Gain some skills to learn how to lead better and serve better. It'll help you. Once you surrender to God, skills go a long way. There are a handful of tools that we have to help you, by the way. Pastor Joseph this evening is going to open up an opportunity for students to not stand against the wall disengaged, but to open up their hands and their arms and say, I'm ready to be a part of something. There's going to be an opportunity for a handful of adults to say, I'm not doing this and I'm not asking what I can have. I'm going to give time and energy and effort. I'm going to engage the problems in front of me. I'm going to embrace the opportunity, and I'm going to serve the mission of God in this church. You're going to see a dozen or so adults do that tonight. We have small groups. In fact, inside your message notes is an opportunity to sign up for small groups. You just take the number inside your message note, and you transfer it to Next Step C. You're going to discover that. And you can literally say, I'm no longer detached. I want to be in a group. And a lot of these groups have to deal with helping men and women dealing with parenting issues and merit stuff, just studying the scriptures, putting yourself in a posture of surrender to God. And I'm telling you, if you'll do those things, the next season of your life will look radically different. And then the season after that, the journey that you're on will look different. And the season after that will look different. And God will mold and shape. And you'll look back on your journey and you'll say, I've seen the good hand of God upon me. No, my life wasn't perfect. We still have challenges, but I see the good hand of God. And it'll be a function of God's grace and your submission. Another tool we use around here is your connect cards. I want you to grab that one out and let's actually take a step or two together. Next step A, every week for us is the same. We never want to let you leave without an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So it says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. So if you'll grab that pen we provided for you, you can also take it home if you want. You can take it to the restaurant today and leave it on the table for the waitress to use. However you want to use that pen, it's our gift to you. You can take the pen and check next step A. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. It's the ultimate surrender. God, you're in charge. You are in fact God and I'm not. But would you be the Lord of my life? You do a really good job running the universe. Why don't you run my life too? We'll pray about that in a moment and give you a chance to do business with God. Or next step B says, today I'm choosing to be baptized. It's when you go public with your faith and you say, I identify with Christ. This is my church family as well. We celebrate with you. Now, next step C is that small group number. You just take it from the message notes right there and you transfer it over. If you check next step C and you don't know the numbers, we'll send you a link to all of the groups and you can do it in the privacy and in the pacing that you can afford yourself in your own home in front of your computer. So you can do that, all right? Now, next step, D, says this. It says, hey, send me those surrender prayers. I confess my natural tendency is to fight and hold. I confess my natural tendency is to receive instead of give. I confess my natural tendency is to stand like this versus stand like this. If you want those, I'll send them to you. And maybe you can join me. So every morning this week, I'm praying all three prayers. God, today, while my natural tendency is this, I'm going to choose to do this. I'm going to do my best to submit to what you want for me. And the next step, E, is one of the most powerful tools we have around here to help you grow. It's called Grow, number one. It's the first grow experience. 
And what we do is we look at why we started this church, what we believe, why we align with what Christians everywhere largely uh, believe, and, and, and what it is that makes us special as a church. But it's really not about us at all. It gives you tools to think deeply about being a part of this church family. And at the end of it, if you want to be a part of our church family, you can join it in a formal way. And if not, at least you're informed what we are called to do and what we're aspiring to do. So if you want the opportunity to do that, just check the box and we'll send you the link. You can read up about it, all right? I want you to set that aside. If you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity to give in our offering today. You're going to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. And while the folks are coming, I want the rest of you to turn your eyes to the screen. There are some pictures up here. Back at Christmas and in the weeks after, you put together some offerings that went to Cuba. What you're seeing here is an extension on a home used by our Cuban partners to serve pastors in the area. They're able to come and stay in this place. Several thousand dollars that we sent went to expand and renovate this place. It becomes a training and encouragement center for over 70 pastors. Your gifts also went to not just the expansion of a building, but we bought all kinds of home goods that are hard to get in Cuba and we sent them, there are boxes of pots, we sent them to pastors all over the area so that they could entertain in their homes and be hospitable. Things that are hard to get, you paid for and blessed over 70 homes that way. You can see Kevin, one of the leaders who's taking our group this week to Cuba, by the way, sitting there with some of the gifts that we were able to give away and your generosity paid for that. It's an amazing thing you've done when you said, I'm not just gonna take, I'm gonna give. But not just in Cuba. We have some work as well that we've done in India. Here's a handful of pictures of the work that we have in India. Do I see them coming up? There we go. This is from last year, Pastor James and I overlooking the girls' home. And we're standing on the ground that is going to become the boys' home. The next photo shows you a little picture of that ground that was cleared. In our Christmas offering two years ago, we paid a lot of money to have ground cleared. And there are some rocks in the foreground, or the background of that picture. That ground was rock-laden, and it was very difficult to get out. They couldn't do it simply with shovels. So a lot of our money just went to ground clearing and uh, big, heavy construction equipment and actual dynamite to move it in preparation for a boy's home. That's Charlie McCurry standing there. He's a big part of our India story. This picture right here is Pastor James and I standing on what will be the second story of the boy's home. You've had a big part to play in that. Some $15,000 you've helped by your generosity, establish a home that'll take care of a bunch, a bunch of people. I'm really, really proud to be a part of this church family and what God has done through your generosity, not just with giving, but with your serving and your prayers. It's amazing. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's thank God. Let's open our hearts and then let's give. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church. We confess we did not come with everything we need to be successful. So we come to you, our Heavenly Father. We come to you asking you to give us wisdom. And we come submitting ourselves to you. We open our fists. We open our hands. We open our arms. And we're asking you, God, to do your deep and profound work in us. Yep, there's still some people around us that need it too. But right now, we ask for your work in us. I ask for it in me. Father, we're grateful for the men and women in this room who are saying, Jesus, wash away my sins. I can't save myself. So I trust the work you've done on the cross and in your resurrection. I trust in that alone to save me. God, I pray for the work that we've been able to be a part of. I pray for the work in Cuba and the missionaries from this church who are going there this week. 
keep them safe, change their lives as they serve you. Let the power of God fall on them and fall through them to the encouragement of your work there in that place. And I pray for the work that you're doing in India, the girls' home, the boys' home, and the partnering with pastors that we've been able to be a part of. God, bless it abundantly. Protect it from every work of darkness that would seek to distract, destroy, to amend the glory you get when we faithfully give and serve and honor you. Father, I pray right now for every family touched by the people in this room. I pray for moms and dads. I pray for husbands and wives. I pray for girls and boys. I pray for older parents. I pray for young kids. I pray for aunts and uncles, God. The truth is, is the enemy fights our family and we need you. We need you. So Father, show up, do your work. Let it begin in me. Let the men in this room be determined that they're no longer gonna stand like a wallflower against the wall, but they're gonna engage your work with boldness. Father, send us leaders step out with humble hearts and bold action to follow you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.